everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Civ Show podcast, where we suck so you don't have to. I'm your host, Moisos. Mm, raising Zozo. And Nystagmus. Hey, oh my gosh, it was a blast from the past. We went back to the future with all the gigawatts and all the good stuff that when we played Civilization 3 on Sunday, and it was interesting to say the least a little bit frustrating um especially getting it launched you know windows 10 and our modern pcs aren't necessarily the best machines to run an old game like civilization 3 but we ended up getting it working we ended up getting multiplayer working as well for the most part until zo uh lagged out and we couldn't get him back in unfortunately but Let's hear some initial thoughts of Civilization 3. This game came out in 2001, if I'm not mistaken. And let's start. I know, Zoe, you're probably itching, itching to just scream out your thoughts on Civ 3. So you have the most experience. Why don't you start? All right, sure. Uh, so I, I played Civ 3 long ago. Um, and have been playing uh, since the, I've been playing Civ since Civ 1, right? So Civ 3 was a pretty big deal uh, from Civ 2. It introduced all these really cool mechanics like uh, cultural borders and civilizations that actually had special abilities because before Civ 3, Civs had no special abilities except for the, oh. the color of their flag. Yeah. So Civ 3 was pretty cool and revolutionary compared to its predecessor. Uh, however, there was also like a lot of mean things, I think is the way to say mean things from like how corruption works, how anarchy works. Like they're cool in that they're challenging and kind of realistic because, you know, switching from despotism to monarchy in the game, it's a big deal. It's a really big step mm -hmm. up. You know, Civ 5 didn't ha or sorry, Civ 3 did not have your your civic cards. It had just a simple government system. You were one government or another. That was it. Anarchy could last like five turns where you'd have all your cities are useless for five turns and you just have to live through it. But then the government you get is way better. Uh, so, you know, stuff like that uh, was really neat. And uh, the cultural border stuff was neat. And you could like lose cities. Moy discovered that you can like lose cities <laughs> to anarchy. It's like, ooh, that's like it made the game more realistic but uh, it could also be a little bit frustrating. Uh, and then I think one of the other neat things is I think you could see a lot of the stuff from Civ 6 that we know and love was present there. Some of the basic ideas like luxury resources and strategic resources and cultural borders. Yeah, they, they did. They working do something tiles, very different. Working population. Tiles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the nature like workers are in there. Worker builders are in there. And that's why I always build a worker. I get them mixed up is because they used to be called one. They used to be called workers and now they're called builders. And uh, but yeah, like and there are doing their thing. You can have them on automate and they're roaming around your empire. So yeah, they're, they're, I don't know. There, there's something about its simplicity. That's really fun. There's something about even combat, you know, it, it's a very simple hit point system. It's not like that units have a hundred hit points. It's that they have two hit points or three hit points and hit points are based on, are they a veteran? Are they, are they a conscript? Are they regular? Uh, barbarians were nuts. 
the stack is nuts. So there's all these ideas the st- that, yeah, that are like, like I played a game afterwards and I swear, uh, like you just have to watch barbarian movement for like two minutes. We're just like horse after horse after horse after horse after horse after horse moving. It can become really, really problematic. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I will. I will say, that. though, that the barbarian units are not as tough. Like, I don't know if that was your guys experience, but I found it was like once you got units in place, it was pretty easy to kill them. Yeah, they roamed around. They never roamed around in a stack. So it was always like a single unit. And so it was, it was easy to just kind of like send one unit and just take care of the barbarians. But I also found that barbarians were hard to spot. Like in Civ 6, you have this big red indicator. And there's a lot more on like the, the user experience I want to get into. But it's a big red indicator thinking like bad, right? Like there's a bad unit here. And so you take care of it. And here, it's there's no indicator. It's just a little white clothed unit. So yeah, you don't I'm going to really be honest. Know. When I first came across them, I thought they were just another Civ. And they usually don't attack you or anything like that, right? So I just like ignored them. Yeah. And then they killed a bunch of my workers. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they come out of nowhere. Like they literally can come out of nowhere. It's crazy. Well, I mean, the, I think barbarians always kind of come out of nowhere. Like they, they the, the, I did notice like camps started spawning later on and they always spawned like extremely close to my empire, which I thought was very frustrating. Another mechanic, though, the auto build system of Civ mm, 3. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it kind of made me build units in all of my cities. So like, when that camp spawned, when camps spawned, I'm like, oh, I, at least I have units nearby and I can go take care of it. And yeah, so that, that's why I was I like, that. It, it helped. But like the other problematic thing about that is that it so and this is one of the things that I think they changed, because if a, if a city is already occupied with doing something, it will go to the automatic end turn part, right, where you can just click space and end the turn, right? Because there's no other yeah. actions you need to take, mm-hmm. but it doesn't tell you that something's been completed necessarily. And so it just moves yeah. on to the next unit and there is a way to turn that off it just doesn't work in multiplayer <laughs> well we, we play multiplayer civ so let's take I, it to i the, know i right? know but i know what i mean is that that was a problem i thought um the other part that i think was happy that they kind of changed in later civs is that micromanaging cities was just i'm sorry like i know you really love the games though but i found it was a pain in the butt um <laughs> i agree with you so um, much you think just, i love you think i love civ 3 uh, well i well yeah Fonder memories. I, lo- of it I love. It so I love Civ, and I love that when Civ three came out, two thousand one. Me thought it was great, but I myself know that yeah, it's got a lot of problems. Uh, we saw yesterday one of the big problems with it, and I, you know, I didn't know this until afterwards. I looked it up on Wikipedia, but we were talking about this. Is that the expansions? I didn't know about the expansions, and I didn't buy the expansions for Civ three. So it's not like all the other, like Civ 4, I got all the expansions. Civ 5, all the expansions. Civ 6, all the expansions. Not Civ 3, though. And I remember not hearing good reviews about the first one that came out, which was the one that made Civ 3 multiplayer. And as we saw, and it doesn't look like they fixed it, because why would they? You know, it came out 20 years ago. It's buggy as heck. Um, All of those things you said that were annoying, those, if you play single player, you the default is it does what it does on online, but you can switch it off in preferences. You can have at the end of every turn, it it says end of turn. You can have that when it finishes building something, it tells you it's finished building something. When a city goes into revolt, it tells you a city goes into revolt. Online, 
it doesn't matter if you have them on or off. I don't know if it was a matter of maybe if we all had them on. I don't think so. It doesn't do any of that stuff. So like I had a city, for instance, that I wasn't aware for like 10 turns was revolt after revolt after revolt after revolt because it didn't let me know. It was only because I had clicked on the city. Right. Because it was like this weird one. I I got through a camp. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something it's not supposed to do that. It's not supposed to default and start building. Something. It's supposed to tell you. It just doesn't do it on online. So that was a problem with Civ 3, clearly, was buggy as all heck. And like it got terrible reviews. The expansion that opened up the online, the multiplayer, terrible reviews. Uh, now, the Conquest, which brought in a bunch of new civs and brought in things I didn't even know about, like military leaders and scientific leaders. Apparently, that was like second place for expansion of the year. So but it, I don't I guess it didn't fix a lot of those bugs or at least they're not in Civ complete. Right. So, yeah, it's it's not my favorite Civ. <laughs> to comment on the expansions and the reviews, so Civ 3, um, the space got 9 out of 10, generally. It was, it was very well received. Yeah. Then Play the World, the first expansion came out, and it got, a, it got 1 out of 5 stars. And GameSpot named it the most disappointing game yeah. of 2002, the wow. first expansion. Like what, a, what a crushing, some heads rolled there. Yeah. And then um, Conquest, which came out after that, had uh, it was very well received. It was yeah, it was well received. It was that that was the one that uh, it, it lost um, to like a gamer award to like EverQuest, so it came set, runner yeah. runner up. Uh, it was well received, and if you look at it, like the stuff that it came with, yeah, it's cool. It, it added a bunch of new sieves. It added some new game features. Um, but it doesn't look like it fixed some of those issues with online play. So obviously online play was, you know, more of a second thought for, for Civ. Now I, I do know for a fact that when Civ 4 came out, they actually had a dedicated server for it. Uh, so, or a third party, whatever, but it came with the game. So it was built into the game. And, and I remember having many multiplayer games of Civ 4. So they fixed it by then. Now, I, I, the other thing I, I noticed as well, because, um, you know, Civ 6 doesn't let you stack units, right? That's a that's a pre Civ 5 thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I did realize two major different things. One is maybe that's the reason why it always defaults to building a unit afterwards, because like to be successful, like I was happy in my war that I just found a bunch of spearmen that were just there um, that I didn't realize. Because you need to spam and stack units like crazy because cities are really easy to take if they have little units on them, but they're really hard to take if the computer figures out and stacks like 20 of them there, right? Yeah, yeah. If you have like a huge army and you're just spamming them. And also, um, there's this weird mechanic that is a little bit different than Civ 6. I don't know if anyone else picked up on it. I know Zoe probably did because he played this game, but um, you're allowed a certain number of units for free. Yeah. Right. Um, based on how big your cities and how many cities you have and what government and, you are. Yeah. And what government you are. And then gold is only spent on the units above that. Right. Yeah. And oh, so, I had no idea. yeah, I was looking at my military advisor for that. And so you can actually um, if you kept that. And that's probably why the computer, because if you know, I, I don't know if you, everyone noticed this. We were during the stream. The computer loves to just spam like dozens of cities like America yeah. was just spamming them everywhere. Yeah. And also because. There isn't as much of a limitation on where you can put cities in Civ 3 than Civ 6 because Civ 6 also has the loyalty pressure mechanic, which Civ 3 
does not have. They have the no, corruption. Vanilla Sip Six didn't have the loyalty. It didn't. Vanilla fact. didn't have it. Vanilla didn't have it. But it is a. It is something that's. Um, it's somewhat in Civ Three, but not well done. And it is something that's more uh, readily introduced in in Civ Four. Yeah, and so, um, you know, they're they're spamming all these cities, but because that's why they can support a bigger army, right? Um, and so it is very interesting that way. The unit stacks and stuff like that. I. For me, it, it was just back in 2000 when um, this game came out, I was more of a console player, I admit, um, unfortunately. So, you know, every, we all make mistakes. Um, and What's wrong with console? I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Stagmus <laughs> just declared war on the console. Um, Everyone denounced you. Well, well, you know, I was big into, you know, Nintendo, GameCube and stuff like that. So my my uh experience with most pc games is very mouse centric right and so i find i found it very hard to transition during this game because i kept screwing up and i kept on trying to use the arrows to like move the camera but that's not how you move the camera in civ 3 so i kept moving units randomly um and so that was the biggest learning curve for me which has nothing to do with the game like that's not the game's fault that's just how games were back then but that was the biggest learning curve for me it was just like oh you don't use the mouse very often in this game you need yeah. to use the arrows and no. that was annoying because i couldn't even use the arrows to go diagonally i had to go back to the numpad which i have literally never done for any game on the pc like pressing like seven or nine or three or one for like the diagonal positions um ah. I, i've never done that before so uh that was the biggest learning curve for me well, and there is even, you know, if you wanted special commands, you had to know them. You had to know that if you hit shift R, it will do your settler or sorry, your worker will do this. If you hit shift I, your worker will do this. So the keyboard much more critical in previous Civ editions and anyone who played Civ one, two, three, four knows that even four guys, sorry, uh, you uses the keyboard a lot. Now, I do believe in four. It, it was a little bit better for, uh, you know, you, you can do a lot more with the mouse, whereas in, in, in three. Actually, I remember you can do you almost everything do. with the mouse. It's just that you can do it faster with the keyboard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so and then like the, the, to speak to the, the unit support thing, you know, kind of talked about this yesterday. And that's the nature of the governments and one of their biggest power, because uh, I was like, oh, they like, what is this feudalism? And that was added in conquest. They added two new, they added fascism and feudalism in, in conquest. And it's so nearly identical to monarchy in, in like most ways, except you kill your citizens to make them hurry up. Uh, and instead of big cities getting lots of units for free, it's about little cities getting lots of units for free. So the idea is if you have a big empire, you know, like Moy had like 12 cities yesterday, a lot of them were small population feudalism's the way to go you get five free units per city you can go on a conquering spree you know with with that sort of free units where monarchy was all about no you have to have big units. you want to have big cities right and big cities necessitate armies that are idle right they necessitate armies that are stationed within the city because monarchy gives you more happiness for having and 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 that was i think common that was became kind of a common trait for monarchy because civ 4 i think had a similar premise that uh, I think that's exactly what monarchy did was it made it that every citizen in your city 
produced a happiness. So you could have these massive cities as long as it had like 10 forces in it. <laughs> um, so yeah, the micromanagement guys, uh, we, we talked about this yesterday, because it's more tactical, because it's about having lots and lots of units, that makes for more micromanagement especially. And then when you add that to the dumb neat nature of cities, um, that cities can do everything, that adds to the micromanagement. So I think that the, the main difference for micromanagement Civ 3 and Civ 6, Civ 6 has fewer options and that creates less micromanagement. It uses strategic combat, not tactical, right? Civ, Civ um, 3 is all about lots of units. Civ 6 is about only one unit can be in one hex. Civ 3 is you can have tons of units in one hex, right? It changes the dynamic of the game entirely. So you end up having less units in uh in civ 6 not to mention civ 3 uses squares you can surround eight units can surround one square all right only six units can surround one hex so ultimately just the maps are more tedious uh, so it makes all of these stacking things make it that yeah there's lots of micromanagement and something that civ 3 tried to do to sort of mitigate this was the idea of governors and I use I use the quotation marks as I say governors because all the governor was it wasn't like it gave you a special power. The governor was setting the AI for the city, so you could tell the city focus on this, this, and this, okay, and and don't bother me, right? Other than having it automatically build whatever, because you can imagine if you had like ten cities, how annoying would that be? And it was, it was so annoying. Like I remember how annoying, and you didn't want to worry about your cities, just do whatever. I don't care, have everything on automate. I need to focus on my armies, right? Um, which were always- Especially massive. since you can't, especially since you can't move all stacks together. You have to like- No, they don't, they don't. That was a Civ, uh, that was a Civ like Warlords, I think. It didn't come out to Civ Warlords in Civ 4, moving the stack together and all, and attacking as one unit, right? Um, that, that like eventually that happens. So yeah, it, it all of those things make for, even though mechanically it's not that different from Civ 6, it's just because there's so many choices. It makes it lots of micromanagement. So I want to, I do want to add to the fact that, yeah, at Civ 3, you have way more military units, but I, I enjoyed that. Like I enjoyed that it only took like two, two three, sometimes four turns to build a unit. Whereas in Civ 6, like, like, man, sometimes it's like 10 turns to build the unit. You're like, oh my God, like, I'm, this is so long, right? Like, that's one peace treaty. And I can get one unit out. That's terrible. I enjoyed, like, yeah, three turns, build a unit. I like the big army. Honestly, I wouldn't mind if they brought parsh, partial stack back to Civ 7 and they reduced the unit cost to build bigger armies. Like, let's just say, like, a stack is limited to four units. And that's it. And there's a clear indicator how many how many units are in the stack, right? They do that I don't, though. I don't know. They have that in Civ uh, in Civ Six. The stack is forming a core, is forming an army. The stack is a support unit. Is there? The stack is a religious right. unit. Is there? But that's um, not what I mean. Is that, I like like I want there to be more more military combat. Like I feel like in Civ Six, it's like you steamroll. Like once you yeah. have a military, the other person usually doesn't have a military, and you steamroll them. Yeah. In Civ Three, like even when I played the AI, like I had to kill some units, and I was. My units were dying slowly. No, it's, it's so I much more of a grind. Through. It's so much more of a grind in Civ 3. 
Like, <laughs> but, I, but but it felt more more of a military tactics. Like I felt more involved. It's it is than more tactical. It's definitely more tactical because because Civ Six is designed to be strategic. It's designed that it takes time. You got to fire one unit at a time, all aiming at one unit. All right. There's range. There is no range in Civ Three. All right. The only units that get range are if they have the bombard ability, and all range does is it's adjacent to you. It lets you shoot at things adjacent to you without you actually risking getting hurt. All right, so the catapult is like this very powerful unit that every army that you form should have at least one catapult, right? Because it can do this and it'll hit all, it'll hit a bunch of units. It'll do collateral damage. Um, so yeah, I it's very, very different than strategic combat. And that was introduced in Civ Five that let's get rid of these giant stacks of armies and let's have that, you know, one army per hex, and it's much more of a strategic feel. They would need to really change, like they would have to have a mode where not like tactical mode where you don't, where you could do the stack. But I don't know. I think if they did that, they'd have to get rid of the range. Cause can you imagine if you could build a stack of archers? True. And just true. like range, 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 oh. range. Okay. Okay. Don't, don't bring the stack back, but make units less cost, less production. Like I just want to build more units. Like, let me feel like I have an army, not just like a couple of units that I'm just like, I have a musket man. This is Actually, you know what? I think one of, the, one of the other limitations of Civ 6 for a huge army is also it does cost more to maintain one. Yeah, way more. Right? Way, you way need more. Strategic yeah. resources. Things can't heal unless you have the strategic resource. You have to stockpile the resource, not just have it. Right. So you need to have like units of the resource. Um, and so I think building units in Civ 6 is not necessarily always like the bottleneck is more production because you can get cities that pump out units very quickly. Right. And you can even buy units, too, in Civ 6. Um, yeah. And so I think the other bottlenecks are like just like the strategic resources. And then you need to also have maintenance gold for the army as well. Um, and yeah, it goes from there. And in, in addition, the units are actually more powerful, too. Right. Like. I kind of felt like yeah. some of my units were made of paper in Civ Three, <laughs> like they would just die very easily. Well, um, and but that's why you build Civ, a Civ huge Three, stack, so then people will we, die, but then you'll we, still win in the end. So. We didn't get to explore this, but um, because we didn't get to the next era, Civ Three, um, the eras are much more significant than they are in Civ Six. Um, in Civ Three, the classical era to the medieval era, it's a huge jump up. A huge jump up because before then, doesn't matter unless you have a specific special unit for your civilization, none of the units is going to have a higher attack or defense than two. OK, and some might have an attack and a defensive two. Like I know the spear thrower that but that's a special unit had that um, there. It's just it's a, a big jump up to go from two. And I believe the pikeman is just a three. It goes to a three. And I think the medieval infantry might be a four attack. Um, but once you hit the medieval era and you get like feudalism and like one other tech, you get all of your units are now significantly more powerful only because it's like a plus one or two in the stat. Right. And and it does that. So the medieval era, it takes forever to get to the medieval era. But then like the medieval era, you start booming like you start. You can upgrade all your units. And, um, you know, if you're ahead, you're going to just destroy 
anyone that you engage with. If the enemy's like a knight unit is so much more powerful than a horseman. So much more powerful because they have a decent attack and they have a decent, they have a great attack and a decent defense and they get to move two. And that plus one to movement is huge because all your units only move one, right? It yeah. makes roads are so critical <laughs> because roads make your movement three, right? So it makes it that a knight can move six. That's huge. If you have the empire to pump out those knights and get them to the front line, that's a really big deal. Yeah. I remember very vividly in Civ 4 because the the, the workers operate very similarly in, to Civ 3, right? You can just put them on auto and they just build roads everywhere. And yeah. you can actually just tell them, build a trade network. <laughs> and they just, yeah. they go off. And I remember like at the end of the game, I can move like units from one end of my empire to the other in like a turn, right? Like, um, yeah. just like they just move very, because also railroads in civ 4 act differently you can actually upgrade all of your roads to railroads like yes they, and they it, just, it doesn't they just cost coal yeah, yeah. It just, and then and, <laughs> and railroads we didn't we it, didn't right? even yeah we didn't even get to railroads and railroads are just you free move you can free move along from one end of your empire to the other as long as there's a railroad connection so like there that's what civ 3 did there's all these gigantic jumps forward that if you can get there first you're going to be in a really great position, right? Uh, so it made it that there were certain texts to always beeline to. Like you you always want to go like get get literature fast to get libraries because that's a huge, huge, huge bonus plus 50% science in your cities and libraries are dirt cheap to build uh, and get monarchy because monarchy uh, for corruption and for like unit support and for happiness, way better than despotism, way, way better than despotism, Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was interesting in that regard, because if you could get a hair, an era ahead, you were like, it was a big deal, but in order you know to what? actually move era, it was a thing to move your era. You had to get all of the research from the previous era, all of it, not until you got it all. Could you move forward into the next one? Right. I liked that. I actually liked that. Yeah. Yeah. No I more of this, sense. uh, being able to build battleships without research and sailing. Yeah, um, no, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, and like the, the wonders too, way more expensive, hard to build and significant. Uh, like pretty much every wonder, the, the ones that suck were the ones that go obsolete fast. So like Oracle is like a terrible wonder in, in Civ 3 because it goes obsolete so quickly. But like the pyramids gives you a granary in every city, right? Which is super awesome because, you know, like we saw, growth is different. Growth is about accumulating food. And each time the city grows, you need double the food that you needed last time. Well, granaries let you keep half your food so into the next level. If all your cities suddenly have granaries, first of all, you're not spending money on them. A granary costs one gold each. Uh, and then automatically they have them. So it had wonders like that, that all your cities get this building, right? Um, so the wonders are much more significant. So I think like what's really going to be helpful and when we do this retro month, which, uh, hey, who, great idea, whoever came up with that idea. Um, th I, I think, think it's going to help us. Uh, careful, you might hurt yourself. <laughs> might have been you. Um, I don't know. Uh, but I think it's, I think we should revisit what we want to do in Civ 7 after we play Civ 4 and Civ 5 again. Yeah, right? that's the whole um, idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, because I think what I think we really need to do is is work on listening to each other. <laughs> uh, that that has never happened on the Civ show and will never happen on the Civ show. <laughs> Just like how Moy didn't understand that you specifically, what was it? You specifically said 
Like something and Moy completely just yeah. didn't know about yeah. it. And yeah, it. you do the same thing. Oh, don't act like, don't <laughs> act like you don't do that. As I never said like, that. I said the, <laughs> I said on the Sip yeah, show, and then I used me, you like as, like, but oh, I used okay. you as an example because it's the one that came to my head immediately. Could have used yourself as an example. Instead. Well, one didn't come immediately. Now, oh, they, they, wow, there's I, so many examples. Now, I think the okay, cool give me thing. One. <laughs> I, I think the cool thing about the entire experience was. You know, once you guys got your your footing, you started excelling. You started understanding the mechanics of the game and you started doing well. Uh, I know for me, uh, it was I was I fell behind only because it auto piloted into pyramids for like five turns. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll finish them, uh, which made it that I had like one worker. I, I didn't have enough workers, but you guys were smart. You knew Lots of workers. You had lots of workers working your empire and your empires really started to thrive. Moy started going on a war rampage and saw how easy yeah. it was. Now, mind you, we were playing like regent difficulty, I think. So, yes. you know, the second or third from from chieftain. Uh, but still, the fundamentals are the same. And and I think that that is a, a, going to be a, as we review Civ 3, 4, 5 uh, and Vanilla, um, thinking about what will Civ 7 offer well, we'll know like there's going to be certain fundamentals are that are not going to change. Right. Civ three, you can still play it and be like, yeah, this is Civ. Like even if you only ever played Civ six, you, you'll be like, yeah, this is Civ. I get it. I see. I see it. I'm proficient enough in one that I can play the other. It's just a few mechanical things that you have to figure out. Well, right. I'm not proficient in Civ six either, so I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually this is probably simpler it is probably easier and it's that simplicity that maybe we can get we can get lost in um you know like we didn't get into it but like a, a big part of civ 6 or sorry civ 3 are luxuries and you can it's not monopolies but like you essentially collect sets of luxuries and it has to be the same luxury right so um, one wine will make one happiness for your cities. But if you get three wine, now your cities will get two happiness. If you get five wine and then it goes up, 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 up. Um, so you end up wanting to get, um, instead of Actually, just you know the, the individual luxury, you end up wanting to trade to get all wine and you want to get like as many as you can. Yeah. Right? You know what? I'm going to call right now. I actually want to see that in Civ 7. I, I, I like, part of me is like, in Civ 6, when you get duplicate luxuries, unless someone trades with you, it's not really all that useful. Right. Mm. Right. Right. Because um, it only gives you the one amenity, which is, I you guess, need... their happiness mechanic well, in Civ 6. But, but we talked about this sort of yesterday, too, that that um, because a lot of that stuff makes it harder, just like anarchy makes it harder. And, um, you know, some people don't like hard. Some people would rather just have fun. Right. So they made the modes. So they have that like, yeah, there's this special mode called apocalypse mode that if you really like natural disasters or if you like revolution, we've got dramatic ages for you. If you like your cities flipping, you know, we've got this for you. Uh, if you like the idea of lots of resources, play monopolies that 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 now the number of of luxury resources you have matter. So they made it that it's optional instead of forcing it, whereas Civ 3, it would have all been forced. It's just like this is how you play the game. You have to deal with anarchy. If you don't like anarchy, be a religious Civ, right? Um, and that was a big deal, by the way. The, the Civ abilities themselves, that it, like, I don't know if you guys found them very useful. Um, I know that the that industrious and religious were like 
the two biggest useful ones, as I recall. Uh, but did you guys find your little abilities actually all that useful? Yeah, I didn't even yeah. like. To me, it never. I didn't. It didn't even register for me as much. I don't remember what my, the commercial one did, but it, I remember it had to do with like, yeah, you make more money. And I was thinking myself, I'm. I would not be able to support the size of military that I have if I was not a commercial right sieve right so i i felt it but I, I honestly couldn't tell you what exactly the numbers were but the the irony there is that had you not had such a huge army you would have had better science and yeah, you would have gotten monarchy faster which would allow you to have, have a, a larger like a army half decent palace you know? yeah so because uh, i think one of the other big differences is this used the percentage scale of previous civs, so civ one, two, and then into three, um, and I think four did it too. Uh, they it used a, how much of your, so you get a flat trade that goes into your empire, and then you have to divide that between science, luxury, and then the default is treasury. Anything else in excess goes into your treasury, right? So empire-wide, if you need gold because you have a big empire that means that or a big army that means that you're not getting science you don't you know, the percentage it just doesn't work out right so i think moy at one point you might have had like a 20 or 30 percent in science where those of us that had a smaller okay. army had like 60 percent, and we were able to race through those and i know too and you and you got caught in it but we also kind of talked about this there was nothing else to build right for mm -hmm. you so it's like well what are you going to do you can build wealth or you can build units and you built a bunch of units. Um, those that go into the research, you end up having all these buildings that you can build. But the thing is, since era is so critical, unless they have researched everything, your enemy has researched everything and is in the next era, your big army, you can still win with that. Who cares that you don't have great tech? You can go on a conquering spree. So like Moy's tactic would have been, all right, I'm just gonna go use my armies. I'm gonna go conquer everybody. And, and, he, and he kinda did that near the end. Um, and it was perfectly a perfectly cromulent strategy to do, but it made it that your cities were boring. Like they, you couldn't do anything else other than build garbage units, right? So yeah, I, it's an interesting component having all your resources channel into a central, and then you go by percentage. You know, it's not it's not you get science points for the city. It's that you say okay, you know. Um, and that's why the buildings are kind of wonky too, because in Civ three it was all percentages. So if you had, uh, if you got currency, you'd have a marketplace. It would give you a fifty percent bonus to your gold generation. But if you have a low percentage going into gold generation, your city's you know it's not going to make that much. Same thing with science. A library gives you a fifty percent bonus for the resources if you have fifty sixty percent in science. Each city that's generating their money, that 50% that is for science will then get the multiplier of plus 50% from the library, right? So it's these stacking percentages instead of just a flat out plus one bonus, plus two bonus, whatever. So very alienly different. Civ math. Civ math. Another version of Civ math. Yeah, yeah. It's percentages instead of solid, because in Civ six, percentages are a big deal, right? Like if you get a, a percentage, that's usually a big deal. Um, yeah. but those solid plus two plus six, whatever is your baseline is also a big deal, right? Um, just very, very different. We, we learned about how, um, you know, roads everywhere is a thing. 
because every road is a trade. You get you get gold and tr- or sorry, you get trade and trade is science and, and gold. Uh, and why not build a road everywhere? Because workers have unlimited charge. There is no charges. They just do whatever they want. <laughs> so, so many different. I'm glad that we did it, though. I'm glad I'm glad we played it. And, and it gives us a, a really. It, it's funny how sometimes looking back can give you perspective on to like right now and uh, either make you appreciate some things or make you say this actually was cool. Maybe maybe we should revisit this, you know. I would like us to revisit it and try there. The conquest introduced a bunch of multiplayer scenarios uh, that I think would be a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, I want to try those. Yeah. yeah. So that'd be neat. Like World War Two, for instance, there's a Pacific one. You know, I'm guessing it's like Japanese, British, Americans. Uh, who knows, though? And Soviets might be in there. That might be fun where we're each heading up an empire instead of building one from the beginning where it's just like yeah let's see what let's see what happens uh axes and allies it's like i was just thinking it's like axes and allies same thing uh or the mesopotamia or whatever um or the the new new world one you know uh i would love to try one of those scenarios in the in the this year future Yeah, so we're going to continue our retro civilization month next week with Civilization 4. We're going to be playing the base game. So if you're on Steam, there are multiple versions of Civilization 4 there. If I take a quick gander, uh, Civ. We want the There's Beyond the most. Sword, Colonization, and Warlords. We're just going to play the regular one. Is that. We, I, I would re- suggest that we play um not not the the conquest or whatever we we play warlords and beyond the sword together um they have united that will be the best of civ 4 like we will have like they they were both fantastic expansions um i think we should we should use all three just not that last one that's my suggestion okay i'm gonna i'm gonna hit install on all of those then yeah because um it, 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 it warlords introduced like vassals which was like awesome it was such a neat idea like where when you start conquering a city or an empire um they can eventually capitulate to you where they basically join you they're still independent they still when they when you declare war they declare war they're still their own people they still have their own science and all that stuff their own army but uh they're vassal they're loyal to you automatically loyal to you they can't declare war on we- you you know, we will like get that. there. We will get there next week. It's going to be fun. All right. I know you're excited. Yeah. I know you're excited. We're going to get there next week. We're going to be playing Civilization for Be There. It's going to be on March 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I believe actually March 12th is Daylight Saving Time's end yes. starts. Yes. So it's not going to be, da- Spring ahead. Gonna be Eastern Standard Time anymore. It's going to be Eastern Daylight Time. Is that what it's called? EDT? Yeah. EDT, yeah. So we're going to go one hour ahead. So make sure you set your clocks. We're going to be one hour um, ahead of what our normal time is. Anyway, that is all we have for this week on the Civ Show podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube. We're posting content on there. Follow us on Twitch and check out our new website for news, articles, and reviews on civilization things and other random things that we've decided to post on there. The, the Civ Show.com. Woo! See you later. Later, everybody. Yeah.